Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. If you're visiting Christ Church uh, today, we're glad you're here. My name's Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here on staff, and uh, we're glad you joined us this Sunday to worship Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to look at a text that points something out about Jesus as he points something out about God. And what I want you to notice is there's things that Jesus did uh, that were huge and epic, but he didn't do those kind of things every day. There was a consistency in how Jesus lived that drew some things out of his disciples that the big moments could not have. You see, he didn't preach every day. He didn't teach every day. He didn't perform miracles every day. But he did something every day that caused the disciples to react to him differently than the big moments. There's something about your and my testimony that in the big epic moments, we display who we are. But probably people know who we really are by the everyday choices we make and the consistency we show. Let's look at verse 1 of Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Prayer. Not a big thing, not an epic thing. But his disciples noticed that when Jesus prayed, things happened. They noticed that he often prayed after a big event, and he often prayed before a big event happened. They saw him feed 5,000, go up into a mountain, and spend the night in prayer. They saw him find time, and King James says he went away or came apart from the crowd to go be with God. Prayer, it's a threatening thing, I know. In a room like this, there's, there's three normal reactions. One is, I don't know how to pray, so I don't. Some say, I don't really know how to pray, and I tried, and I wasn't good at it. And some people deep down think, really, is prayer really a thing? If God knows everything, why do I have to tell him anything? I would like to offer a word of encouragement to every single person here today that our misunderstanding of prayer does not negate the power of prayer. And I'm not accusing anyone of being ignorant, so don't feel threatened. What I'm simply saying is just because we misunderstand prayer doesn't mean we, should try, we shouldn't try to understand prayer. And Jesus is going to reveal to us today something about prayer that I don't want us to miss. Let's read verses um, two through four. In the response to them, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Both Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Luke record what is now known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew's account of what Jesus said is more robust. It wasn't like Luke paraphrased, but Jesus must have taught this regularly because Matthew records him teaching it in the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of his ministry, and here toward the end of his ministry, Luke records him teaching it again when the disciples requested it. The principles are the same, although the exact quotation, uh, one is more robust than the other. You see, the prayer is recorded here because the disciples' deepest question, and follow with me on this, the disciples' question was not how to pray. It was how to access the power that Jesus had when he prayed. They weren't looking for a formula. They were looking for the access, the, the enrichment, the growth that came when Jesus prayed. They saw what happened when he prayed, and they wanted that in their lives. And if that 
if that touches your heart this morning and you're thinking, I want that too. I want to, I want to, vivid, active prayer life. I don't just want to say prayers quickly and out of obligation and then hope they work. Then I've got a word for you today. But I want you to know that Jesus, in answering their question, also gave them a parable. And if you disconnect the parable from the Lord's Prayer, we're going to turn the Lord's Prayer into a formula rather than to an experience. So let's read the parable that Jesus attached to to the teaching. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up and give, get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, receive, who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie uh, wrote about this one time and it made an impression upon me. He said, to understand a Palestinian home in the days of Jesus, you have to see it as two separate rooms, not distinct rooms like we might have a living room and a kitchen, but they would have an open floor plan. Their their homes were not large. They were large enough for the amount of people they had living in them, but they had two main sections. They had a living section where everything took place and then they had a lofted area above where the family would sleep. And the family would all sleep in the same room. They didn't have their own individual bathrooms and bedrooms like we do today. They would live in this communal area. But the one thing that he pointed out that I was unaware of is at night, the the living area could be divided in two and they would bring all of their animals, all of their sheep, all of their goats and their cattle into their homes. Now, it might be an open-ended area, but they they would have a gate there that they would bring their animals in to protect them, keep them out of the cold and from being stolen. They would call this area, you might recognize this word when I use it, they would call the area of the family living where the animals were brought in at night the stable, which may tell you what most scholars really believe, that Jesus was not born in a wood lean-to on the back part of the property of someone's home. He probably was actually born in the animal area of the inside home. I hope that doesn't ruin Christmas for you, because it doesn't change any theology, it just changes some bad cards, okay? So Jesus was probably born in a home. Mary was not out in someone's, you know, utility shed. And they would do this at night. So if you understand the home situation, now let's listen to the parable Jesus told. Neighbor comes to neighbor. So neighbor B comes to neighbor A's house. Now neighbor A has gotten his whole family together and he's taken them up to the loft and he's got all the kids in there and his wife is in there and all the animals are in and they're penned in for the night and everything is shut down and he's going to get some rest before today, tomorrow's activities occur. Neighbor B comes across and knocks on his door. It's after dark. The family's all settled in. He knocks on the door and he said, my friend has arrived in town. Hospitality precluded that if someone came in town that you would provide them shelter and food until they left. It was just a common courtesy all through this region. It's a wonderful gift of hospitality that God asked his people to participate in. So neighbor B has a friend who was unexpected who shows up 
and needs a place to stay, so he opens his home. But he realizes they hadn't grocery shopped. He doesn't have bread to feed him. He has nothing to offer him. So neighbor B goes over to his friend's house, and he knocks on neighbor A's door. And he says, hey, dude just showed up. I wasn't expecting him. Do you have any food? We have no food to give him. Do you have three loaves of bread? And neighbor A, being the kind, generous neighbor he is, yells down, are you kidding? You know what time it is? If I got up, the kids are going to get up and the animals are going to get up. It's just going to make a mess. Can you just wait till tomorrow? But he knows he can't. So you have this tension. You have a tension that we all experience. Now you're saying, well, I've never had that happen to me. Have you ever been given the opportunity to do something that you know you should have done and you didn't want to do it? Have you ever gone against what you didn't want to do and you did it because it was the right thing to do? Let me tell you a situation that I've come across both personally and I've, well, obviously if I've come across it, it's personally, but it's happened to me and I've been the person that was doing it. You ever been in an airplane when someone falls asleep next to you and starts to snore? What do you do? Now, I'm not talking about a person who every now and then makes a puffing sound. I'm talking about head back, mouth open, sawing the logs. That three or four rows around are looking like, what is that? If you're sitting next to that person, how many of you awaken them? The rest of you are cowards. You're irritated by it. You know what you should do, but you don't do it. Why won't you do it? Because I don't, I don't know what to do. One time we were sitting there and a guy against the window just was making ungodly noises. My wife was between him and me. I wanted to reach over. I thought a good chop in the throat would stop it for the rest of the flight. <laughs> Heather's like, no, Mark, don't. That's what she says to me 90% of my life. Mark, stop it, don't. You can't. And so I just did what my normal technique in these moments is. I violently moved my seat so our whole row shook. And he went, <clears throat> and he sat there awake the rest of the trip. I looked at her and she thinks you're so proud of yourself. And I was. And you know what? The guy in front of him turned around and lipped, thank you. I didn't want to do it, but someone had to do it, and it was going to be me. Let's flip this. What if you're the snorer? What do you want them to do? How many of you would rather have them just leave you alone so you can just suck all the wind out of the entire plane, the entire two-hour flight? Would you want to wake up and have everybody go, dude, you were killing it? Or would you rather have had a friend lean over and go, shh? You know what you want, right? You'd never want to be the one embarrassing yourself by falling asleep and accidentally snoring. But we have problem doing what... I've just taken a normal everyday situation like Jesus did and I just put you in a spot that you didn't want to be in and you had to ask yourself the question, what would I do if it made me uncomfortable? Would I do what needed done or would I just protect myself? And Jesus uses a scene and he says to his audience, pay attention or otherwise you can think, this is a bad moral to teach junior high kids. Just do it because you have to do it. That's not really what we're after. We're after the heart change, not just the physical work. But Jesus says, if if a father knows their child wants a meal, would he give them a snake or a rock or a scorpion? No. Even those of us that are messed up will normally choose to do what needs to be done even when we don't want to do it. He said the man will give him bread not because of their friendship, He'll give him bread because this man is so persistent, he has a need. And then Jesus does this, and God is so different than that. Our God, the good father, wants to give you good things. You don't have to bang on his door at midnight and have him go, are you kidding how late it is? Come tomorrow. 
Our God says, no, I'm ready 24 hours a day to bless you any way I can. I want to engage you. I want to be involved with you. He says, I am going to show you how much more God is than what we perceive him to be. You see, in Psalm 121, verse 3, the psalmist writes this about our God. God will not allow your foot to slip, and God who keeps you will not slumber. You cannot inconvenience God when you come to him. Never. In fact, Jesus says, seek, ask, knock, and and God will respond. He says, would you give your kids a bad thing if they ask for a good thing? No, not unless you're just a horribly corrupt person. He says, how much more will God? How much more will God? How much more will God? This is Jesus' teaching method over and over. You say he's this way, but I'm trying to change the narrative, Jesus would tell you. I'm trying to show you who God is. I believe one of the reasons most every single one of us, including me, struggle with prayer in our lives is we have a bad narrative of who God is. Because if we understood who God was and why he wants us to pray, it would stop becoming an obligation and a duty and it would start becoming a pleasure which is what he wants all along. You see, our deepest questions and concerns about prayers can be answered with our relationship with God and his goodness toward us. When we understand the goodness of the Father, prayer becomes a gift. So let me walk through this quickly. Three things about prayer that I think Jesus reveals here in this text that I want every one of us to cherish. First of all, prayer is relational. So release your hesitancy. Prayer is relational, so release your hesitancy. What I'm asking you to do is stop imagining that God is the irritated neighbor at midnight who doesn't want to get up and help you. Or second, release your hesitancy that if you come to God, he's going to go, really? It's been nine months. Uh, I used to call my grandparents regularly. I remember being in college And my mom said, hey, it's grandma and grandpa's anniversary, call them. And I remember calling, and my grandfather picked up the phone, and I said, hey, grandpa, it's Mark. And he said, Mark who? I said, grandpa, it's your grandson. He goes, I used to have a grandson. I haven't heard from him in years. I thought, you old turd. And then he goes, here's your grandmother. And I knew I was on the list, and I had to get off the list. And sometimes I think, deep inside, I either think that God's going to be irritated by what I'm asking for, like, really, I'm running a world, and you want that little thing? Or he's going to be looking at me going, oh, now you need me when you're in trouble. How many of us buy the false narrative that that's our God? Listen to what Jesus said. You can bang on his door at midnight. He's going to get up and help you. He wants to help you. He's there for you. Don't be hesitant to come to him. He is a good father. Jesus wants you to know the availability of God, the constant availability of God, not a secret code to get his attention. The Lord's Prayer, as one example, is not how do you get God's arm twisted far enough behind his back that he gives in. It's actually that he will, he will come to you and wait and serve and love and be here for you. He is readily available. He is not bothered by your needs. He's not bothered by your difficulties. He's not bothered by your inabilities. He understands all of them. He created you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you, and he's here for you. Church, can you take the good news today? Prayer is not earning God's love. It is going into his love. And when you know who God is, prayer becomes just a natural thing. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He's telling us God is the good father. So overcome your hesitancy. He is a willing provider. The second thing we learn is prayer is based on faith, so trust his promise. 
It's not based on you. It's not based on your technique. It's not based on your formula. God doesn't care if you pray in King James 16th century English or common words today. One of my most favorite moments of all time was there was a, a guy I met in the last year or so of his life who came back, with a, back to his hometown community with a deadly disease. He had a terminal illness. And he came to our church and he started attending a Thursday night Bible study I had in my home. And uh, before he passed away, he accepted the promise that Jesus offered him and he found life in Christ. And it was an amazing story. My favorite thing in the world was when he prayed. The first time I ever heard Scott pray was at our family dinner table. It was just little tiny Alex and Heather and me. And he came over early and always ate with us before the Bible study. And we were sitting there. And I said, Scott, would you thank God for the food? And Scott had never prayed before. And he prayed the most beautifully touching prayer I've ever heard. In the prayer, he was quoting movie lines to God. He quoted Neil Simon. He said, Neil Simon said in The Odd Couple, and he started quoting lines from movies. Heather giggled. I was in awe. I'd never heard a more pure prayer in my entire life. He was having a conversation with the dude, and the dude was God. And I don't think God was in heaven going, whoa, where are the rules? Where's the decorum? God was like, that's my kid. I love it. He talks to everybody like this. Why wouldn't he talk to me like this? You see, what God is telling us that I want to bless you, trust me. Look at verse nine. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Step out in faith. God is saying, come to me. I'm here for you. Knowing what we know about God, I want you to know all prayers get answered. That's not a promise from a preacher to get you to pray. I want you to understand this. If you hear what Jesus is telling you, All prayers get answered except the unprayed ones. You can say, well, God should know what I want. No, he's saying to you, come see me. Come talk to me. Knowing what we know, all prayers get answered. Now, his yes and his no and his silence are all blessings, if that's true. His yes His no and his silence are all blessings to every prayer. They're an answer to every prayer. Some prayers are answered with yes, some are answered with no, and some are answered with silence pending his perfect will, at which he will deliver an answer in his perfect timing. And those are tough. To quote the great theologian, Garth Brooks, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Because if God would have given me everything I thought he should have given me or I deserved or I wanted, my life would be wrecked. But in his perfect wisdom and his love for me, his silence was the answer I needed. And so my challenge is, don't you find it fascinating that when you want what the Lord wants, your prayers get answered often? And so some of the silence and some of the no is because we're asking God to do what he's already said he will not we're asking God to overcome which, that which does not develop us or the other pre- people we're praying for. When we pray for others, we don't need to give God information. We need to give God our trust. We need to, to reveal to God our hearts for those we're hurting for. And it's a beautiful thing not to have to give God extensive words, but just simply come before God. And I, I know I'm, I'm sorry that this is redundant, but I've been praying for my older brother for over 30 years, and all I do is say his name. And I love going through a prayer list when I see someone hurting in the hospital. And I have to go, God, you know that guy that's got cancer? Just out he got. I just stop and I go, God, be with Bob. And God's like, I got you. 
And it's not like God's in heaven waiting at the starting line for me to fire the gun. Don't get that wrong. What he's simply saying is, Mark, I love your heart for that. And I'm going to shape you by your heart for him. And I'm going to use your love for him in a different way. And I'm going to do my work. My will will be done. That's a beautiful thought. So overcome your hesitancy to pray because God is willing. And overcome your fears because God is trustworthy. And thirdly, prayer is receiving God, so enjoy his presence. There are two challenges that seem negative. So overcome hesitancy and overcome fear and now enjoy his presence. Look at verse 13. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember what he just said was, ask, seek, and knock, and God will respond to all of those. Ask, seek, and knock, and God will, will, will. But what will God give you? Jesus doesn't say, look at verse 13 with me. Jesus doesn't say that God will give you what you asked for. It says God will give you what you need. Because the Lord's prayer is based on what we need and God's will, not what we want. So he says God will give you his presence. That's what he means by saying he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Now, pay attention because this is dangerous too. This is the same Holy Spirit that when Jesus was baptized, led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water to fast and pray to prepare himself for ministry. So when God gives you the presence of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that everything works out just peachy. It may mean that there's going to be some seasons in your life where waiting on the Lord is hard, but God will be with you. The same Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor abandon you, said, I am leaving so that the helper, the counselor can come, this presence of God's Spirit. So what I love about this, the hope that I have for every single one of us is if we understand the opportunity that prayer affords us, it's an opportunity to have more of God in us than we've ever had before. Not just that everything works out perfect or we get the lottery numbers or whatever else we pray for. It doesn't mean you won't die of cancer. It doesn't mean that your relationship that's broken up and separated will ever come back together. There are no promises of that. But in God's perfect will, he will redeem everything worth redeeming and he will do it in a perfect way. You see, the ultimate purpose of prayer is for God to give us himself, not for him to just give us answers. The Apostle Paul had a messed up life. And I mean that sincerely. Not only was he a Pharisee who killed innocent people because they threatened his idea of religion, but the Apostle Paul followed God and he gave his life for the ministry and he was led by the Holy Spirit and he was saved by Jesus Christ and he had all the pieces together. But there was a moment in his life that God let him get. God allowed for him to be stoned to the point that the executioners thought he'd actually died. They were so good at doing this, they weren't fooled easily. They thought they had killed Paul. They left him for dead and he was resuscitated and came back and he never once complained to God about the fact that God let him go through that. And yet a In his ministry, he would say these words. After suffering so much for the cause of the gospel, he would say in Philippians 3.10, all I want to know is Christ. All I want to know is Jesus. No other promises. I just want his presence. Mother Teresa said, prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God himself. That's beautiful. That makes prayer less of an obligation and a duty and more of a beautiful response. Dallas Willard says, my favorite definition of prayer, it's talking to God about what we're doing together. It's being a part of what God is doing and loving that. So if we can overcome our hesitancies and overcome our fears and just enjoy his presence, we will have received what God wants from us in prayer. He wants this engagement. Matthew, in his more robust 
dictation of the prayer that Jesus taught disciples, he wrote this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When you hear the prayer, remember where we started. Jesus wasn't teaching us a formula to get God's attention. He was teaching us a prayer that focused on who God is. You'll notice that there's very little room for us to tell God what we want him to do. It is simply responding to what we already know God does. It's trusting in his character and his presence. It's not praying. And I know for some of you, what I'm about to say is going to turn the channel. You're going to go to some happy place and stop listening. Because I'm going to say, will you find time, sacred space in your life? Can you carve out a 20-minute block of time somewhere in your day? And I always get asked, well, when am I supposed to do it? Well, you know, if you read church history, you know, Martin Luther got up at 4 a.m. and he prayed for three hours. Yeah, I ain't doing that. When are you your best? Some of us are morning people. We can get up first thing in the morning and we have all the energy and, and ideas and some of you look at it like we're demonically possessed. Some of you are afternoon people. You don't get up till noon, so you count that afternoon, and there you are in the afternoon, your mind's bright and you're refreshed, and some of you are vampires. If if it's not midnight, you're not thinking. So when do you do your time? Where do you create sacred space? Create it when you're at your best. Turn off something to turn on this sacred time. Create sacred space. Just try it this week. You'll be horrible at it, but it will bless you. Create a block 20 minutes a day, whenever. It doesn't have to be the same time every day. Just create a 20-minute block where you sit in the presence of God and you tell God about himself. You tell God who he is to you. You tell God how grateful you are for all he's done. You just spend some time loving on God and you'll be surprised how fast 20 minutes will go and how much you'll love doing that. And then you can do something that I love to do. My prayers are very simple. I'm not a complex, I'm a complex person in personality, but not in prayer. I pray that God pushes back the darkness. It's my favorite expression. I say, God, would you push back the darkness? Because what I want most of all is when I'm praying for a couple that's going through a divorce or I'm praying for a family that's going through an illness or I'm praying for folks who have children that are often away from the Lord or I'm praying for someone who's looking for a job and needs income. When I'm praying for these things, here's what I pray. God, would you push back the darkness? Would today, in some moment in time, in the most meaningful moment of their lives, would you remind them you're there? As they wait test results from a hospital and have to wait two weeks, would you speak to them today that I have not forgotten you, I am with you, I am the great physician? When their marriage is broken up, would you say to them, I have not stopped loving you, I am working on both of your hearts toward forgiveness? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't take three and a half hours to pray for 35 people. You just pray that the darkness would get pushed back and God would be revealed. Because what do people need? They need God. They need to know the presence of a loving, good father who cares for them. There's not a person in this room, no matter your understanding of scripture, there's not a person in this room who can't pray to the living God because he is alive and he cares. So let me walk you through the prayer Jesus taught us to show you how I use it. God's answer to my identity is his fathering. I know that's not a real word. Our father in heaven, I love the fact that Jesus, who could have said my father, He said, our father. He was inviting me into my identity as a child of the king. God's answers to my inability is his holiness. 
Hallowed means holy, means set apart. It means unique, unlike any other. When I want to know about my inabilities, I remember who I'm talking to, the God of all abilities. God's answers to my distraction and confusion is his purpose and plan. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. God's answers to my worries is his provision. Give us today our daily bread. I don't know why I'm supposed to share this, but it's been a burden on my heart all morning and I've denied it the first two services, so I'll just have to say it. I've had a tendency to look ahead and say, well, you know, family budget's tight and we had some expenses or the church budget's tight and we're not meeting budget and I begin to panic and I've had to stop and remind myself this and I praise God for this. I've never had a day in my life that God hasn't given me enough bread for that day. And even though the bank account and I don't know how we're going to pay a certain bill or we're going to do a certain thing, I've had to stop and be grateful for the fact that God has always given me just what we needed to do exactly what he asked us to do. It's changed the way I pray about my daily bread. God's answers to my guilt is his pardon. Forgive us our debts. I actually like the word trespasses, and let me explain it briefly, since y'all got nowhere to go, right? Trespasses is when someone crosses over a line that they're not allowed to cross. And I think when we sin, we have crossed over a line we're not allowed to cross. I love the word trespass there. So God, forgive us the times I've trespassed. And then God's answers to my strained relationships are his peace. As I forgive those who have trespassed against me, as I offer them the same mercy and grace. God's answer to my temptation is his protection. Lead lead us not into temptation. Father, teach me, change my appetites. When I'm going in direction, God, speak to me. Tell me no, tell me no again and again and again. And God's answers to my fear is his power. Deliver us from evil. I'd like you to stand right now, if you would, please. And I'd like to read very slowly and intentionally a prayer together that Jesus asked us to pray that's not about technique, it's not about formula, it's not about which translation we use, it's actually about who we're talking to. And notice this is not about our wants. This teaches us to pray about who God is and what we need. Let's pray these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.